Hello guys, this is Dr. Barry and welcome back to today's episode of the Health and Wellness Connection TV show. Now this is ideally the show for those who are interested in some of the latest topics in the health and wellness space, as well as learning about some unbiased, well-researched thoughts and information that should hopefully give you a better shot at living a healthier and more fulfilled life. Now, of course, you know, we've been hitting all the big topics for the past few weeks now, and of course the one that's been a big deal has been the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, that being said, we have great news uh, for this show is that the numbers are looking better than ever. Um, between you know, the high levels of vaccination that's going on, which we're going to discuss as well today, it appears that, you know, we are definitely looking really good as far as the new infection rate and this overall uh, prevalence of new infections throughout the United States at the very least, and even many other countries also are enjoying uh, this. Uh, what we see is a dip or lull in new infections. That being said, there are other uh, nations who are still going through it, and we're going to discuss that here. So sit tight. Let's talk about that here in a minute. Now, before we get to that, I want to, you know, give, uh, of course, appropriate, uh, you know, shots out to AfroVibes Television, the number one uh, source of AfroVibes Entertainment on the interwebs. So if you have not, you know, downloaded the app, please do that now. It's such a great, amazing app. You can get access to music and movies and entertainment videos and everything else something you really don't want to miss also um, I want to make sure everyone is checking out our other sites off uh, on other platforms including the podcast which is on anchor.com as well as our Facebook page www.facebook.com backslash next level weight loss all right so as we were saying coronavirus is definitely doing its thing we have of course we always discuss the top five ravaged nations uh, dealing with the coronavirus. Countries that are on these different uh, um, levels are fairly similar. Now, number one is the United States. The United States is actually doing very well as far as new infections. Some of the lowest rates seen since the pandemic began are currently being enjoyed throughout the United States. Only 17,000 um, or so, but almost under 20,000 new cases per day, which are some of the lowest numbers we've seen in the while, and a little under 300 deaths per day. Now, for the entire country, that's pretty good, uh, given the fact that you know these numbers have tripled this uh, you know, not too long ago. So, yes, we are making some great headway in the United States. Um, really, all over the nation, there's a really good decrease that we're seeing all across the board regarding new infections and other issues. So, United States definitely moving in the right direction. Many people state that the fact that in the United States, it's believed at least 50% of people have been vaccinated against COVID-19 virus. So, making it one of the higher uh, nations as far as vaccine penetration on the continent. So I think that's also playing a role and uh, I think helping at least reduce the death rate. We're not seeing as many deaths uh, with those who are vaccinated. And so as the vaccination levels increase, we should see less and less deaths. Now, that being said, you know, the vaccines have also had some controversies themselves, but one thing that cannot be denied is that they are helping reduce the deaths, which is really what uh, we all could all hope for. Um, now, number two is India. They're about uh, still going through it, 200,000 or so new cases per day. It is a little bit down from what it had been, uh, but it's definitely still quite elevated, and about 4,000 deaths per day. So India definitely still having a lot of issues with uh, people, you know, having severe complications, including death from COVID-19. So we're going to definitely continue to monitor that, you know, situation out there, and we'll see how they progress. Uh, Brazil is number three. They're dealing with also their um, pandemic as well, um, having a lot of new infections. Um, their total number of cases have also been quite high, as well as their total number of deaths. Um, so they have about 73,000 new cases. So they're definitely kind of going up and down. 
Um, they also are having a lot of deaths, almost 900 deaths per day in the Brazilian nation. Um, they also have had some of the highest levels of death uh, from this COVID pandemic, with almost half a million people uh, succumbing to COVID-19 in the Brazilian nation. Second only to United States, which had which has a little over 600,000 people passing from the COVID-19 pandemic. So Brazil definitely having a lot of issues, and they've kind of been in the top five for a while. As a result, many people have you know, you know, succumbed to the COVID-19 infection in the nation. So definitely something we're going to keep monitoring. Uh, France is number four. Um, again, they're also um, still going through, but they have very very um, you know decreased numbers compared to what they were doing as well. Only about 2,000 uh, new cases and about a little under 100 deaths. So definitely kind of on a downward swing. Turkey has also um, been showing a lot of new infections lately, but they're also, you know, not doing as bad as they used to be. About 7,000 cases per day, um, about 150, 170 deaths per day. So the Turkish nation definitely having its own share of the coronavirus issues. All right, guys. So as we stated before, rates across the United States are dropping quite sharply. And it's something that the, uh, you know, the people who actually monitor, you know, disease, uh, you know, in populations, we call them public health uh, specialists, they've actually been marveling at some of these numbers and a lot of, you know, the credit is being, you know, placed on uh, the, the prevalence of the vaccinations in the United States. Well, it says that the last seven days, you know, here in uh, the late parts of May, they've noticed that cases per day have reached less, about average about 27,000 per day. So. That's some of the lowest numbers we've seen uh, since the pandemic as far as seven-day average for new infections. So um, even though there are some hot spots in different parts of the nation, overall, the numbers of, of new infections, even as well as deaths, are dropping very nicely throughout the country. So um, that's a great thing. And we're hoping that, you know, as we continue to monitor this thing, that we can, we'll continue to see newer, you know, lower numbers of new infections and especially lower numbers of deaths. It goes so, so far to say that even some of the, the, um, the um, specialists who actually look at um, creating these models to predict, you know, death and new infections over the long haul, they're actually predicting that fewer than 7,000 daily cases by mid-August and fewer than 120 deaths um, as well around that mid-August period. So hopefully, you know, we are guys at the tail end of this pandemic with the vaccine and the measures that we've kind of started to institute regarding, you know, mask wearing and social distancing. We'll continue to see continued drops and hopefully you know have a healthier uh population now that being said not all is well because there are some reported side effects being uh described with the vaccine particularly in young people and these are cases of myocarditis which is also known as inflammation of the heart um, this um, is being seen in a rare subset of people who are receiving the COVID 19 vaccine and it's, it appears that some people are getting palpitations, sometimes developing abnormal heart rhythms and so forth as a result. So um, as a result, people are, you know, you know, raising the alarm that, you know, I think right now is about 150 cases have been reported. So out of the millions that have been uh, exposed, you know, not a huge number, but something that needs to be monitored because if it continues to grow, you know, myocarditis can cause some issues that are, you know, need to be focused on and we want to make sure that there's not a necessary, you know, development of the condition. So. You know, we'll continue to monitor those numbers, and uh, the CDC at this point is still saying that it is safe for everyone. Um, you know, even though these small, you know, pockets of side effects are concerning, but they're not significant enough to, you know, consider, you know, not vaccinating those who want to be vaccinated in those age groups. So, again, we'll continue monitoring it, but yes, there are some side effects um, being reported with the COVID-19 that, again, the CDC is making 
every attempt to ensure, you know, if, if these vaccines or if these um, side effects are valid, that they're fully investigated and we get to the truth here, okay? So we will definitely report those data details as we receive them. All right, so as we continue on the vaccine discussion, it does appear that racial disparities do still persist when it comes to administering or people who are receiving the COVID-19 vaccination. Um, looking at the latest data, it appears that black or African-American people are having some of the lowest numbers we're seeing as far as those who received the vaccine, only at 22%. Uh, meanwhile, Caucasian or white individuals who are receiving the vaccine, it's believed about 33% of that group has been uh, vaccinated. Um, now, we were seeing much higher numbers, ironically, in the Native American population, which seeing numbers as high as 45% of those individuals uh, who classify themselves as Native Americans have been, have been vaccinated. And Asian American groups and Pacific Islanders also some of the highest groups as well, with 41% um, having been vaccinated uh, individuals. So, you know, definitely there's some a lot of reasons that are being discussed why these racial disparities exist. Uh, many people believe, especially the low numbers we're seeing in the black and African-American community, maybe due to, you know, lack of access as well as, you know, distrust of the vaccinations. So um, there's a big, there's being a, a big push for increased targeted education campaigns to, you know, educate the different populations in various um, scenarios that will be comfortable for those populations so that people can really understand the importance of the vaccine and why it's something that, you know, everyone is being encouraged to get just to help reduce the risk of this, you know, continued progression of this pandemic. You know, we always see sort of new variants being uh, described in various par parts of the globe. And the fear is that if these new variants continue to develop and spread, it's going to potentially be a, a source of a new pandemic as the current vaccines may not be effective. Now, that being said, there are some great reports coming out that the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna actually are considered to be very effective against even some of the new variants being described in certain locales, especially from the UK, where there's even reports of new variants being discovered, and really even all other parts of the country as well, including India and other areas. So, you know, these variants can definitely put a wrench as far as how this entire pandemic plays out. And the hope is that these vaccines will remain effective and continue to stay effective uh, for the duration, um, for a significant duration, to allow this uh, pandemic to kind of, you know, you know, teeter out, if you will. But that being said, you know, there's still a lot of controversy and a lot of, you know, interesting stories being bannered about now as we come on the tail end of this, on this, of this pandemic. And those stories are really talking more so what could have led to this entire thing to begin with. All right, guys, so now we're going to go into a little bit of the tinfoil part of the show here. Now, there's some interesting data that really came out officially, and this is why I'm bringing it up here, because it actually was revealed by the U.S., intelligence uh, agency where they actually described something that they had investigated in regards to the origins or the potential origins of this Wuhan or this um, uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. Now there were reports that apparently in Wuhan, um, which is a small town in China, which is where the virus was initially discovered and isolated, it was found that there was a group of scientists who worked at the Wuhan lab of virology, which is a big research lab where they actually study viruses and people would allege they're actually potentially creating different viruses but that being said there are reports that apparently some of the scientists at that facility were actually sickened with a flu-like illness which many believe were some of the first few cases of coronavirus now this was approximately november 2019 before the pandemic was really a thing and so many people believe especially according to this u.s intelligence report that these individuals who were potentially 
sick were, were some of the first people who may have had this pandemic. Now, as we all know, um, Wuhan became then the epicenter of the, of the um, pandemic early on, as that was the first place where there was a lot of people passing and it was unknown what was causing it. This included health professionals, physicians, nurses, and other patients who had been exposed, leading to the worldwide pandemic that we came to know and love, <laughs> which is this, uh, what we're dealing with now. So now that being said, um, this is again, US intelligence reports. Many people have come out, particularly outside of the country, and really have spoken out against it, particularly in China. They're actually refusing um, to acknowledge the validity of the report. They're saying that it's inaccurate, it's essentially not true, and that there's no evidence to back up the claims that anyone in Wuhan was sick at this time. So, you know, but many people would allege, though, that, you know, the Chinese government has been known to hide the facts and hide the truth. On, I, hell, every government probably does that, to be honest. But, you know, there's definitely some issues there with uh, people's belief as far as how China has approached this pandemic to begin with. Many people accuse the Chinese government of being very secretive and not really telling all the true details of what they understood regarding this COVID-19 um, virus before it really became well understood. And, uh, you know, it's definitely been a kind of a lot of, you know, point of, of, uh, of, uh, of a back and forth, if you will, as far as the true origins of this entire virus. Even Anthony Fauci, um, the head of the health, uh, uh, the health, uh, government health agency here in the United States, he even spoke out as far as his suspicions as far as the origins of this virus not being natural. And there could be some evidence of potential, um, you know, external forces as far as how this virus originated. And so he um, stated that officially he's not convinced that the novel coronavirus developed naturally. And he feels that, you know, you know, that more research needs to be done. And he, he feels that, you know, that is going to be put in action and we'll see, you know, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of how this actual virus actually came about because many people are definitely interested and uh, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of it. All right, guys, so switching away from pandemic news. And it appears that more and more students, these are actually kids between the ages of um, 13 and 18, um, are identifying with what we call a non-gender classification. So, um... According to 2017, there was a study that was done um, amongst high school students, again, like 13 to 18, um, or maybe 15 to 18. And they looked at them and they asked them a couple questions. A, what is your sex from birth? And the second question was, which of the following best describes you? Were you a girl, a boy, trans girl, a trans boy, gender queer, non-binary, or another identity? So apparently, 9.2% of the court of the people who responded stated that they were gender diverse in some way, essentially anything but um, a boy or girl. So um, it's interesting because, you know, we all know that those recent uh, celebrity, Demi Lovato, who's a singer who came out stating that she would no longer, or they would no longer like to be referred to as she, and she preferred they and them. And so this has been a big thing in various circles as far as you know, kind of removing the gender assignments when dealing with pronouns and other uh, identifiers. And, uh, you know, many people are kind of looking at this as something different. Some are saying it's odd. Some are saying it's revolutionary. Um, definitely is a lot of, you know, extreme opinions either way. Um, ultimately, you know, people, I think, have a right to do what they please. But I think it's un un important that we kind of understand some of the reasons behind this and make sure, you know, there's something that makes sense, I should say. But again, that's something that could be up for subjective analysis as well but that being said as a clinician it's interesting to see kind of how people 
are looking at you know biological classifications versus social classifications, or whether or not there's some um, you know ways that those two areas can be you know reevaluated. Because again, as a clinician, you know having a, a idea of the sex of a patient is something that can be very important when looking at how to evaluate a patient. And uh, you know some would argue that you know when in a clinical setting, you know the sex may be a little more important to make sure we're doing things that are safe. Um, for that gender because some treatments can be gender specific and so forth. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very, you know, ba interesting conversation and we will definitely, you know, let you know if there's anything new <laughs> that develops as far as the whole classification uh, discussion goes. All right, guys, so awesome new research is coming out and this could help actually do, I think, a lot of amazing things um, when it comes to helping people receive or restore some of the senses they may have lost. A new study actually, a new procedure actually was revealed today that um, doctors for the first time have found a way to develop um, or use, they use, they're using gene therapy to actually create a situation where people who had been previously blind are now able to see. And this is being done by, they actually are using viruses and creating a sort of hybrid virus where they're allowing the virus to be um, able to carry specific DNA into certain parts of the, of the body where it can actually go inside and help transform certain cells to provide new functions. In this case, um, scientists were able to create a virus that was able to bring in DNA into the cells in the eyeball. Now, the cells in the eyeball that are responsible for making pigment that allow your optic disc, which is again, part of the eyeball that helps your body or your eyes receive imagery and translate it so your brain can understand what it is. Scientists are now able to create or modify certain cells to be able to receive this information and actually function as um, new pigmented cells that can help your brain see. And so as a result, they were able to do uh, various studies or do tests on some patients who were blind and they were actually able to use gene therapy to transform certain cells in the body to function as, you know, almost like a, a, a new retina for the uh, patient. So it's actually pretty groundbreaking stuff here now. And so as a result, um, the people they've tried it on have actually had, went from complete blindness to able to see shapes and, and various, uh, you know, large objects and whatnot. So it's, I mean, this is amazing if you're completely blind and have no visual acuity whatsoever, but now you're able to see kind of large objects and shapes and whatnot. That could be a huge improvement in your overall quality of life. So, you know, the gene therapy is gonna be some of the newest, most advanced science that we're gonna be seeing coming up. The whole concept of genomics is going to be big as well. And just really getting into your DNA is going to be a big industry going forward. So we're going to see a lot of new therapies based around gene modification uh, and, and gene analysis that could actually be, you know, huge for, you know, medicine as far as, you know, um, curing various diseases, even like for increasing life expectancy, or even, you know, modifying or creating new, you know, carrier viruses and whatnot to do all kinds of other, you know, amazing things. So again, that's just something we're seeing now on the gene therapy front that could be potentially um, transforming some of the care and treatments we're getting currently for a variety of illnesses, guys. So this is going to be huge. If you're someone who's suffered from blindness, especially genetic blindness due to various you know disorders, see your doc, man. They could potentially refer you to a place that something like this could be done and uh, you can get some recovery out of some of those senses you may have lost. All right, guys. So awesome new information that something we already knew, but it's always great to see data and confirmation of what we already suspected you know in black and white and so some of the new data we're seeing now says that um, walking an extra 1,000 steps 
per day may increase your lifespan. So, in other words, exercise more, you live longer. So, I know we've been saying that a lot here, but again, this is some real good data just come out. This really, really cements how important it is to stay active and how important it is for your overall health and wellness to find some way to be active on a regular basis. Now, the scientists, the scientists from the American Heart Association um, of it was actually the Department of Epidemiology and Prevention, Lifestyle, uh, Medicine. They actually released some information from a study that they conducted over the span for about four years. So they did, they did a study where they looked at folks who wore heart rate monitors, like Apple Watches and Samsung uh, watches and so forth, and they had them start to monitor their step counts per day. Now, these are actually were for older individuals the study was targeting. So they looked at people 60 years and older, about 16,000 people they, they looked at, and they monitored them from 2011 to 2015. So a nice long study, very large study. So it's a very powerful study. And these are actually some of the best studies where they're looking at a forward progression of people in a large group, a large cohort, we call it in statistics. And these help scientists really get great information as far as how potential or particular habits are affecting you know, your life, be it good or bad. So what they looked at is those were stepping and they kind of they didn't tell them to do anything they just looked at their step counts and saw how they were moving and they took note of the people who were stepping certain numbers and those who weren't and so what they found is that those who had at least 2,000 steps were, per day had a 32 percent decrease in death compared to those who took you know less than that so a pretty amazing stuff literally stepping 2,000 times per day led to a 32% decrease in death in that four-year period. Now, every increase of 1,000 steps per day was associated with a 28% decrease in death. So, you know, the more steps that were, people were taking, the less likelihood they were dying before this, uh, you know, study was done in this five-year span. So, um, now, this doesn't mean that you can step for a million times, you live a million years, no. After you step a certain amount of times, then that effect of, decreased death is kind of plateau and that was determined to be about 4,500 steps so around 4,500 steps per day there really wasn't a big difference in those who were living and dying at that point it was probably other factors playing a role but those who were below that 2,000 they noticed a significant increase in their risk of death so and again this is for an older population here so I'm not saying that if you're 20 you're going to be if you don't step a thousand you're going to die in five years but in this older population it was just shocking how those who are walking more we're just living longer now of course it's a very gross generalization there could have been other factors that could have played a role as to why those other people were dying however one thing that was consistently seen was that those who had the higher step counts were having consistently longer lifespans so you know and we know this is makes sense because again walking is a form of exercise exercise is cardiovascular uh training meaning your heart's you know pumping your blood's flowing inflammation is actually going to decrease you're going to have those endorphins that are secreted going to help kind of with relaxation and other benefits. So there's so many benefits in cardiovascular activity. It's really not surprising that those who were more active tended to have better, longer lifespans. So um, this also obviously goes to show that we need to figure out a way to be active. Now, of course, I tell you guys, I recommend at least three to four times a week, 30 to 45 minutes of activity, um, be it walking, running, weightlifting, which I'm a fan of, you know, um, jump rope. There's so many things you could do that you know, if you just do them consistently, you can get great benefits over the long term. So the bottom line is this, guys. Get up, get off the couch, put the phone down, or actually use your phone and throw on a, I'm a big fan of audio um, audio books or your favorite album or whatever's going to motivate you to move. And get out there and move, guys. It's going to be a great summer. 
Everyone's vaccinated now, so you don't have to worry about getting sick. At least, hopefully, you've been vaccinated. If not, you know, at least you're staying away from others and wearing your mask. But overall, it's going to be a great time, guys. So I want you guys to, you know, enjoy the weather. It's about to be, you know, time to get outside and uh, use this study as motivation to make sure you're planning out your weeks and you're making sure you're getting that activity in. Because, of course, health is wealth. And if you're sitting down for too long, that's going to definitely negatively affect your health, guys. So, all right, that's all for the show today. I want to thank you guys for kicking it with us on the Health and Wealth Connection TV show. I'm your host, Dr. Barry. If you have any questions or concerns or you want to reach out for anything regarding topics or even collaborations, please don't hesitate to reach out. Email is drbarryhealth at gmail.com. Also, like we said, the Facebook page, www.facebook.com backslash next level weight loss. And also, Instagram is where you can find me as well if you need any kind of quick uh, tips and tricks and feedback. And that's at Dr. Barry MD. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Barry. Thanks for joining us today on the Health and Wealth Connection TV show. I will see you next time. Peace.